Hi guys, welcome back to the Adaptive Zone podcast. My name is Matthew Boyd. I'm a physiotherapist and running coach. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you're so inclined, share it with a friend. Today, we're going to be talking again with the one and only Jason Fitzgerald of the Strength Running Podcast. Jason, welcome back to the Adaptive Zone podcast. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me back. We are going to be talking about, uh, I, don't, I think I should say this word in quotations off-season training because this is the whole idea behind this episode um is that you're not a big fan of that so uh, we're going to talk about that today for the listener we're going to get into that but for anyone who lives under a rock and doesn't know who jason fitzgerald is could you tell us just a little bit about yourself sure thing so i am the guy behind strength running the strength running podcast the strength running youtube channel strengthrunning.com uh, I started running back in 1998 as a freshman in high school and ended up running cross country and track for four years of high school, four years of college, and then kept competing post-collegiately. And uh, yeah, now I'm just excited to be helping runners achieve their goals, no matter what they might be, and uh, essentially helping runners avoid all the mistakes that I made in my running career, because I made most of them, <laughs> most of the mistakes <laughs> you probably could make, I made. And, uh, you know, even though I benefited from having a lot of really good coaches myself uh, and participated in the sport at the collegiate setting, uh, there's a lot of mistakes to be made. And so my goal right now is to essentially help runners achieve their goals, help them become better runners through best practices and, and helping runners just get really strategic with their training. And I, I think in this conversation, we're going to find out how strategic and nerdy I can actually get. So right. I'm excited to do this, Matt. <laughs> yes. And if you want to hear more of um, Jason's strategies and nerdy nerdities, uh, the Strength Running Podcast is, is, I mean, it's probably the best running podcast out there, like maybe slightly just a close second to my podcast, but it's, it's really good. So... <laughs> Um, the only and, answer that, that you could have had right there. <laughs> and the, and the certainly, it's been going a lot longer, a lot more. It's strengthlearning.com, is that correct? Yep, that is right. Yeah, so uh, listeners, check that stuff out. It's excellent. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, listeners, check that out. And what, just to give the listeners a bit of context, media. on Instagram, which is at JasonFitz1, if people want to follow you there. And you said this, uh, let me read it out. If you're not running 50 plus miles per week with two workouts a week, you probably don't need multiple eight plus week off seasons per year. Most of us aren't training so hard to need extended periods of low volume slash intensity. Base training is far better for most and won't result in detraining. So... Um, there was a lot of reactions and comments on this post and certainly it caught my eye. Could you tell us a little bit about what led you to, to post this and what you were thinking? Sure thing. So there's, there's a couple directions we could take here. Um, I guess I'll start at a very fundamental level, which is just the phase of training we're talking about. So we're using this term off season and I don't really like the term, even though I, I do like the idea behind it. And so when a lot of runners think about this off season and, you know, I actually 
posted this because I have seen a lot of other coaches advising runners to take this off season, eight to 10 weeks, look very low intensity. Maybe you're doing other types of exercise. Maybe you're taking time off completely. You can do it a lot of different ways. And I think my major problem with this is that this actually isn't a real term in the running vocabulary. So I pulled out all my big stack of running books. I looked at the USA track and field coaching curriculum, you know, the workbook that I still have from when I got my coaching certification. And no matter where I look, I can barely find any mention of this phrase, which I found very interesting. You know, if we look at Jack Daniels running formula, if we look at Steve Magnus's science of running, if we look at Pete Fitzinger's advanced marathoning, and if we look at USA track and fields coaching curriculum, the governing body of the sport, we see barely any mention of the off season. So what exactly is the off season? Well, it's very poorly defined and it can mean so many different things. And that's the major issue I see with it is that because it can mean almost anything, it doesn't really mean anything specific. And so you can create an off season that is not going to serve your needs or goals as a runner. And I think it just creates this permission structure where you can go take eight weeks off from running and you know, when I ran in high school and college, you know, I benefited from having over 10 coaches. I never heard the words off season. You know, we had summer training for cross country that was very different. And I think that's often what runners are really talking about when they talk about the off season. And so a big issue for me is just the words that we're using, Mm. because number one, probably shouldn't be eight to 10 weeks, especially the way that a lot of coaches on social media, a lot of running influencers are talking about it because the way that they're talking about this very long off season of eight to 10 weeks is very low intensity where you might be cutting your mileage by 50%. You might not be doing any workouts at all. And there's really no progression. You're essentially not training at all. You're just exercising. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. So I I also want to be clear that my guidance is really for the runners who want to improve, who want to set big PRs. Maybe they want to qualify for Boston. You know, maybe they want to run their first marathon, you know, and no matter what the goal might be, it doesn't necessarily have to be a highly competitive goal. It's really just runners who want to achieve their potential in the sport, whatever that might be. And so this idea of an off season really allows runners to become substantially detrained. Mm. And then they're starting their next season from this position of weakness. They're starting their next season from a position of running low mileage, probably not being ready for the training that is more specific to the race that they're about to start training for. And so a lot of runners then have to spend all this time playing catch up. And I blame the off season. Hmm. We don't have to play catch up. We can both be prepared for our current season and adequately recover from our last season with just a different strategy, a different approach. And so I think that's fundamentally my my gripe with the phrase off season, you know, it's, it's just not really included in the formal education of coaches. I don't see it in the major running books out there and all the coaches I've had in my 
my personal running experience, never used this term. So I think it's more of a term used by casual runners. It's more of a colloquialism. It doesn't really mean anything specific. And I'm such a word guy. I think language matters that, you know, that kind of squishy, undefined, vague term is something that, you know, actually the the USA track and field coaching certification warns you against. You know, I remember the coaches that were teaching this course saying a major goal of this education is so that we are all talking in the same language so that if we say preseason or base training or off season or any of these related phrases, we actually know what we're talking about and we're not going to confuse ourselves. And more importantly, we're not going to confuse our runners that we're working with. Okay. So my understanding of what you're saying is that the term off season is essentially in and of the itself because it has the word off in it and the way people understand it is to take you know eight to ten weeks so like two months of low volume low intensity with no no progression and this is this is what you don't like and you don't think that this is appropriate for runners do you think that it's not appropriate for runners across the board or is this only on inappropriate for certain levels of runners say it's it's appropriate for pros who need it it's not appropriate for recreational runners who don't train as hard like could you tease that out a little yeah that's a really good point i mean first let me say like you know i'm not gatekeeping anybody you can kind of go do whatever you want right like I, i am not saying you can't do this what i am saying is if you have performance goals and you're someone who wants to potentially see what you're capable of as a runner, you want to, you want to glimpse your genetic potential. This isn't really a good idea. You're going to set yourself back and it's just going to be, um, sort of a setback for you. Now, I do think that you're almost awarded more time off after a hard season, the harder your season was. So if you're someone who is running 30 to 40 miles a week, maybe you were doing one workout a week, you don't need eight weeks of time off to recover from that. I don't think that is physiologically demanding in the same way that someone running 110 miles a week with two hard workouts and maybe their season was a little bit longer. So to a certain extent, yeah, if you train at a really high level and you're, you're pushing the envelope as much as you can, I do think you're allowed to take some extra time off, you know, sort of like, the, the whole idea of polarizing our training. We're going to make our hard days hard and our easy days easier. Well, we're also going to make our training hard and our recovery even easier by making it a bit longer. It's basically applying that principle on a more macro scale. And so, um, yeah, you can, you can essentially use that guideline to determine how long this phase of training should be. Right. So let's say you're a recreational runner. I work with almost entirely recreational runners, you know, folks running somewhere between 25 and 45 miles a week. They're training for marathons and half marathons. You know, I don't think we need more than about two weeks off. You know, maybe Hmm. once in a while you take a three week stretch. Uh, but one to three weeks is, is really the gold standard for time off from running. And then once we take some time off after our goal race, then we can sort of transition back into some, some easier running, you know, especially after a marathon, you know, you can't go from a week off 
to hard training, you need this transition period of, you know, just running a couple days a week, getting the legs back underneath us, and then transitioning to what I might call base training or even preseason training rather than off-season training. Would you look at those two terms differently, base training and preseason? So we can start to tease out. Actually, let me let me backtrack before I answer that. Because do you think of your the way when you're coaching runners? Do you think in terms of like times of the year and seasons of the year and how that relates to when the races will be, or do you think in terms of when their goal race is and then sort of work back from there? So if someone's goal race was, uh, let's say, a marathon in May and someone else's was like a half marathon next November, that's how you decide what they should be doing now in its November as we're currently recording this. Or do you think in more terms of, you know, seasons of the year? So we're just coming out of fall into winter and then we'll be coming into spring, you know, after that. How do you approach determining what you're going to work on with your runners based on uh, which of those methods do you use or a different one? Yeah. So I, I think it's much more effective to think about the racing seasons rather than the seasons of the year. So okay. for example, you know, if you're going to run a, a marathon in January, what you do in December is going to be very different than someone who runs a marathon in November. Right. So it's the same time of year, but because your race is different, you're just going to be doing very different training. So I I do think that the weather and time of year impacts your race schedule. So, you know, if a runner uh, lives in Arizona, I'm probably not going to recommend that they go run a marathon in July. You know, it's just going to be a very slow, challenging Mm. experience for them. So, you know, you can certainly, you know, uh, uh, put your race schedule around the seasons in such a way that you're maximizing your ability to run fast when you actually line up on race day. So, you know, is your marathon in November? That's probably a good thing if you're here in the United States or you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Whereas if your marathon is in August, that's probably not a good thing if you're in the Northern Hemisphere because it's just going to be much, much more uh, warm and you're going to have to deal with those conditions on race day. So I always like to talk to the athlete. What is your goal? Okay, you want to run this marathon. Now let's work backwards and, and try to figure out what is a good marathon season for you? Should it be a little bit shorter, a little bit longer? And then, you know, if we have more time than the length of their season, what should we do beforehand? You know, now, now we're sort of getting into, you know, is this base training? Is this preseason? Is this an off season? Uh, what do you do before this off or base training season? You know, were you doing a, more marathon training or were you doing something else? Hmm. So sort of, depends on what they were doing from a more holistic perspective and then that will influence what they should be doing right now okay well i think uh like a a case study might be helpful here so let's say uh, one of my runners jen just did the new york marathon at the weekend well done jen and next let's say next year she's going to do it again so it's november next year so it's 12 months away we're coming into winter in terms of time of year and she lives uh in new york so uh, that that would help you understand like the climate and stuff. Knowing that, is that enough for you to now work back and think, okay, what am I going to get her doing this November and December based on trying to perform well in a marathon 
in next November? Or do you need more information than that? No, I think that's pretty good. I mean, so your client just ran a marathon, uh, by the way, congrats, Jen. Always a, <laughs> always a big accomplishment. New York was my first marathon. It's a great experience. Um, so what I would do is, is number one, run the marathon, celebrate, be very grateful for the experience and all the hard work you put in. I think time off after a marathon is really important. You know, we have got to let our muscles, our, our heart, our endocrine system, so many different systems of the body properly recover before we get back into any hard exercise. And, you know, I think somewhere around the seven to 14 days of a time period is really good for marathon recovery. Um, now that doesn't mean all of your recovery happens in that seven to 14 days, but that's the time period that we take off from any kind of running itself. Now within, let's say we do two weeks. I like to see one week where you don't do any exercise. You are just a normal sedentary person. You are just allowing your body to get rehydrated, to maybe get into a calorie surplus, to not have any spikes in cortisol. Then we, the next week, you know, maybe we can do some light exercise, but it's more like an easy bike ride. You're going for a walk. Uh, maybe you join a yoga class, you know, something like that. We're, we're just being active, but we're not engaged in formal training. Okay. So that's two weeks. Now we're going to start running again. That third week is when we start running. It's going to be very easy. It's going to be very short. You know, that first run back is probably just going to be 20 minutes or so. It's really just to see how your body is responding to running. And once we get a couple runs under our belt, you know, that, that fourth week might be a low mileage week for us. Uh, maybe we start running some strides, but again, this is essentially four weeks of either no running or very easy, low volume running. That to me sounds like what a lot of coaches are describing as an off season. I typically just look at it as this is what we need to do after a marathon for good recovery. Then after, you know, after about two weeks of, of just kind of getting back on the horse, we're starting to run a little bit more. This is where our base training or preseason can begin. So I would want to talk to your client, Jen, and just be like, okay, you want to run New York next year, but what do you want to do more short term? Because there's 12 months. We obviously don't need to train for the New York City Marathon for 12 months straight. We also don't need to like schedule a six month preseason and then a six month marathon season. That's also just like way too long of a time period to be spending uh, training for one race. You know, you can spend too much time in any phase of the training cycle. And so we want to kind of cycle through the training cycles. We don't want to spend way too much time in any one part of that cycle. So I might recommend, um, you know, Jen take some time away from the marathon in the spring and, and target a bunch of 5k, 10k half marathon races, you know, just really just try to become a better runner. You know, that's essentially what I want to do with my clients is help them become better runners. If their goal is to run a faster marathon, an interim goal might be let's set PRs in the 5k and the 10k and the half marathon, you know, during a spring season, then using all of that progress, we can have a great marathon season, you know, over the summer and into the fall for New York come 2024. So that is like very big picture how I might think about splitting up the next year. 
And, you know, let's, let's say that Jen's final race of the spring is a May half marathon. I might have her engage in some preseason training in like December, part of January. And really now, now we're getting to kind of like the real topic of our conversation, right? Is like, what is the off season? Is there a better word for it? And what should we be doing in this phase of training? So it's uh, November 6th as we're recording this, right? So you got like four weeks of, I describe that as a recovery block because I tend to program in four week blocks. So I would say, okay, we've got a recovery block here where the emphasis really is on recovery. And we are going to do a little running in that time, but not much. And that's what you push back against terming that like off season because it sounds like we're just kind of taking a break. And it's more so we're taking a period of recovery that has some running in it. And it's, that's pretty short, right? There was two weeks of not much running, then two weeks of running. Um, and then we're looking back towards getting back into training. So that next block, which is going to come in around early December, what do you, that would depend what you'd chosen for the subsequent race. And, and, and as you were outlining there in the example, it's like, okay, well, it's 12 months all the way to the next big A race of the marathon. But in the spring, we're looking at a half marathon. And did you were you thinking, okay, we'll, pl- we'll plug in some 5 and 10Ks before that half, or would that be the, the focus initially and then do 5 and 10s during the, the summer months? What were you thinking? I actually like including the 5K and 10K races as part of one season with the half marathon. Okay. So, you know, something like a, like a 5K, you can recover pretty quickly from that. And, you know, if it doesn't go well, you can go run another 5k the following weekend. Yeah. It's very unlike a marathon where, well, now you have to wait five months and <laughs> <laughs> really get your, your ducks in a row before you go race another marathon. So there's just a lot more flexibility to race more when you're racing some of those shorter middle distances. So what I would like to see is, you know, maybe you schedule a, a rust buster 5k in March. Uh, and then you might have two races in April, you know, maybe a 5k and a 10k. And then in May, you might have one or two other races. So you have this like eight week ish season of racing that I think is really great for getting comfortable with racing. Um, you know, just working on the skill of racing and really just kind of working on getting fast you know, that, that's where we actually get the, the fruit of our labor, right, is when we race. So, you know, let's schedule a season just like you might see a professional run a series of Diamond League track races. Or you might see um, a professional marathoner do a 10K, a half marathon, and then their goal marathon. We're essentially going to combine these races into one season where, you know, it might be 5K, 5k 10k half marathon that might be the general progression of races and and that's all clustered within a six to eight week period at the end of the season and so i i think now the question is like okay but like what do you do in that off season or pre-season or base training or whatever we're calling this season you know we had our recovery phase which is going to be mostly november um and so now it's like okay i think I think we should call this preseason or base training. I think those two words I think are fantastic 
Preseason is a little bit more general. You know, you're going to have baseball players do preseason mm. training. You're going to have a- everyone in any sport has a preseason. Base training is a little bit different. It's a little bit more endurance sport specific because it hints at what we're actually doing in the preseason, which is building a base. And so if we're talking about the goals of our base training or preseason, I think we can list off a couple here. Number one, it is general preparation for the specific preparation we're going to do later. So this means easy mileage, easy long runs, and then getting getting into some workouts. They don't have to be very hard, but you don't want to go from not doing any workouts to doing 5K specific workouts. You've got to sort of bridge that gap a little bit and you know, doing some, some relatively easy fartleks or aerobic workouts where maybe you're running half marathon pace uh, or you're doing things like strides, hill strides, or hill sprints. Uh, things that are relatively low effort, they're not the hardest workouts you can do, but they really provide you that foundation that uh, is going to be really beneficial for you in the future. Uh, you do the same thing with, with mileage and long runs. You know, let's build your mileage. Let's continue to progress. I think one of the main problems I have with these off seasons is that it means you're not really training and there's not going to be much progression. You're not going to increase your mileage or your long run. You're not going to introduce workouts. It's sort of this period where you're allowed to just screw around for two months. Whereas I like to be a little bit more strategic and Mm. actually seek some progression after that recovery period. And so the, the preseason is general in nature. It's more foundational in nature. It can also work on your weaknesses. So, um, you know, if, if you maybe have a problem with injuries, maybe you just have very high injury risk, you always find yourself getting hurt. I would spend a lot of time in this preseason time period working on getting stronger, working on, um, you know, some of the good habits that are going to keep you healthy in the long term. Uh, maybe you're someone who doesn't lift weights. Well, now's the time to start that weightlifting mm-hmm. habit. Uh, I think the preseason is also a really good time to think about training PRs. So we all know what a race PR is. It's the fastest time that you can run a certain distance, but how many miles have you ever run in a week? Can we beat that number in preseason training, uh, provided that you do it safely and, and you're feeling good, mm, but cool. Racing PRs usually happen after training PRs and the preseason is a really good time to focus on some of the more general things that, you know, are not going to help you this week, but they're going to help you in two months. So something like a a monthly mileage record is one of my favorite preseason goals Mm. to go after because it's a longer term goal and it does represent a bigger body of work. So I think addressing weaknesses, uh, providing that foundation and then just making sure that there is some progression within our preseason or base training that is going to be really critical. And, you know, when I look back at, you know, my running career, you know, I mentioned having all these coaches and no one ever talked about the off season. We talked about base training during the summer months. This was critical for any kind of success you were hoping to have in the fall cross country season. And we actually believed the summer training to be, you know, if not as important, more important as what you did during the season, because if you weren't prepared coming into the season, Mm. there was no hope. 
But if you had July and August of just monster mileage and, and working on getting stronger and reintroducing, you know, some of those easier workouts, like we mentioned, you are just setting yourself up for success for that upcoming season. And so I just think it's really interesting that, you know, we definitely didn't call it an off season because we were not off from running. My college cross country coach actually said that running is a lifestyle. You have to do it pretty much every week of the year. And if we didn't run track, he didn't let us run cross country. Hmm. And so it's just a good example of the fact that running is a lifestyle. And if you go take eight to 10 weeks off or with such reduced training, you're just going to become so detrained that you're never really going to improve very much. It's like hygiene, right? You don't you don't have an off season for brushing your teeth or showering. Like these <laughs> these are just things that we have to do. So exactly, yeah. Exactly. I, mean, I don't take an off season from <laughs> taking a shower. As you were talking there, it was um, it was making me think about lots of things, and something I found. I sort of came from the physio world and leaned into the coaching world and, and sort of created a kind of hybrid between the two where I mostly work with injured runners. And what I found is, is very similar to your problem coming from the performance perspective, but from the injury perspective, and in that there's this dip in the summer in mileage and intensity and focus and strength training and just general activity. And then there's this dip in the winter, which is really bad in Canada because it's really cold in particularly volume um, and intensity on the running side. And that leaves people really vulnerable when they go to ramp back up. So in the spring and in the sort of late summer, early fall, that's when all the injuries happen. And you can it's like clockwork in the physio clinics. And the, this kind of, um, I call it mountains, right? These mountains of training where it's like really high intensity and volume to like really low. And these really sharp changes, these are what create the risk of um injury right because it's the change in um change in demand on the body that is what causes the repetitive stress injury it's not the amount of stress itself because we know that people can tolerate 100 mile training weeks they just can't do it if they haven't been doing it like building up to that over a long period of time and only taking short periods of reductions so I, I just wonder if you I don't have a question in there. It was just making me think that there's this very strong parallel between what you're talking about from a performance perspective and what I've found difficult with my runners now is that they, they really take the foot off the gas in these periods and then they get injured. And I've seen a bunch of people come back recently who I was working with in the spring who were doing fine, who stopped working with us in the summer and then got injured again in the fall when they started to ramp up again. And you ask them what they did in the summer and it really wasn't much it was really low intensity low volume and low focus so i just wonder if that's something you've thought about or noticed with your athletes as well as this this relationship with the injuries as well yes this is like a core component of my coaching philosophy i could not agree any more with you if you don't use it you will lose it i think is a very simple way to describe this phenomenon and it's true, like you said, for performance, but also for injury risk. Um, you know, I, I think it's very instructive that it's not necessarily high mileage running that's going to get you injured. It's the increases in mileage mm. that are going to get you injured. And if you were to graph a runner's training, and it does look like those mountains, like you were describing, that to me 
is not effective training. That to me is very risky training and it's not consistent. It, it is definitely going to increase your injury risk because you're almost constantly trying to build your capacity and then you take a bunch of time off and then you're, you're kind of digging yourself out of this hole and you know, you're, you're never really get to a point where you're feeling good, you're consistent and, and you're, you're really benefiting from all the training. Um, so it, it's true for performance and it's true for your injury risk as well. So yeah, I, I see that hundred percent. And I think that's what we're trying to prevent when I get a little bit more specific about labeling this time period. Okay. You do have this rest period that's necessary, but then we're going to get back into it and we're going to, we're going to gradually progress. You know, we're not going to go from zero miles a week to 50 miles a week, but we are going to get back into it and we're not going to spend eight to 10 weeks at a very low level of training because you know, I was talking more from a performance perspective. You got to dig yourself out of this hole and rebuild your mileage and get used to workouts again. And then the next thing you know, you don't really have that much time to actually specifically train for the race that you want to train for because you've spent so much time getting yourself back into shape after letting yourself get out of shape. But your point I think is, is just as important, which is that process of getting back into shape is where the injury risk really lies. If you can stay in good shape and, and, and turn that graph of mountains more into a graph of gently rolling hills, you're not only going to be a better marathoner, 5k runner, you know, no matter what kind of runner you might be, you're going to be a better runner, but you're also going to be much more injury resilient because you're not asking your body to go from couch to marathoner all the time. You're, you're much more in the middle. And, and that moderate effort over time is really, I think, where the progress comes from, not a hero effort every once in a while. It's uh, it's funny that you went for the hills because uh, one of the first blog posts I ever wrote, like back in 2017 when I started blogging, was um, waves, not mountains. So I was like, it's more like waves. So if you look at your annual uh, training, I mean, the volume is the easiest to see when you look at like your Garmin or whatever, and you just view it by month. You don't want to see these big peaks and valleys. You want like mountains. You want to see, I said waves, but I think hills is better because hills is like land and that's mountains as well. So I'm going to have to rejig my metaphor. But I think looking at that and thinking about your training that way in terms of these rolling hills, in terms of volume intensity, is a much safer way to train and it's going to improve your performance. And it's just, like you said, it's just not necessary to take big like periods of time off from running like physiologically it's just not necessary so i i wanted to get back to the the period so let's say i think i'm, I'm sort of understanding the way you would approach it is that you've had your big areas so for jen it was the marathon and then she's going to have about two weeks of, of very little running if any and then two weeks of kind of gently building running back in so there's this kind of four week period of recovery but i'm guessing if they the air race was like a 10k then that might be your that might be shorter like one or two weeks is that and then you would go into your next phase which would be potentially base building or whatever the next phase is that's appropriate for the calendar that you've laid out for that year yeah you're right i i think if you're racing a marathon on the road or or something like a really hard ultra marathon 
you're going to need that longer time period of, of time off and very low volume, easy running. But like you said, you know, if your final race of the season was a 5k or a 10k, you probably don't need two weeks off. You know, maybe, maybe this is when we go on the low end of, of just a single week off. And then, you know, you might have two weeks of easy running. So this turns into a more like a three week kind of quote unquote off season. And then you can get into the, the more formal base training that is going to prepare you for your, um, formal race training to come in the future. So yeah, you're always allowed a couple of weeks of, you know, playing around of, of just goofing off with your friends. You know, I want to go for a couple of easy runs and not worry about strides or a long run or a workout. And I'm just hanging out. Sure. Let's do that for one, two weeks. But after that, we start really running the risk of, of getting detrained. So the, the cycle should be shorter if we don't need as much recovery. So I, I think a good litmus test is just, you know, ask yourself how much time off from running do I really need after this race? If it's a half marathon or longer, I might say 10 plus days. If it's, you know, 10 miles or less, I might say 10 days or fewer. Um, you know, I would say maybe a week is the minimum, you know, let's just take a week off. There's, there's no harm in that. You're mm. not really going to become too detrained, but the studies on, you know, how quickly you tend to lose fitness, uh, and certain aspects of your fitness do erode at different rates, you know, like muscular strength versus cardiovascular fitness, things like that. But generally three ish weeks is, is really the maximum amount of time before your fitness really starts falling off a cliff. Hmm. So one to three weeks of, of easy, low volume running, but I'm really hesitant about anything much longer than that. Cool. And then often you're going to be moving into a base phase just because if that was the last race of the current like running season and we're coming into the winter, so there's a lot less runs going on, at least ones that people would pick for their race, right? You know, if you're running in the snow, you're probably not going for a PR. So then you're thinking about your next air race and then you're working back from there and you're probably going to be looking at like base training and or something similar. And I, I really like what I haven't heard the term before about um, training PRs. I, I like that concept because it gives people something to focus on, right? That isn't the race, but that is helpful towards their ultimate goal, but is closer like they okay what's your what's your most the most amount of miles you've run in a month let's see if we can beat that okay where are we at now okay we don't want to do that next month because that'd be a huge increase but maybe two months from now let's build you up to that so we try and hit that in january this might be a way someone approaches setting a goal like that does that sound about right yeah that sounds like a, a pretty fine progression of of mileage as you're thinking about you know your peak and how you want to get there, how quickly you want to get there. I think it does depend a little bit on the runner, of course, you know, with like, you know, if, if our runner Jen here, you know, maybe she's reached a peak of 45 miles and that was the most number of miles she's ever run in a week. Well, if that included one or two days of workouts, you know, I might say, let's get her up to 50 miles mm. in a week in you know, late December, early January, but instead of two workouts, it's going to be one. And, and that workout's not even really going to be very hard. 
you know, because we are really focusing on volume at this stage of the game. Um, but that's not to say that all training PRs have to be volume related. You know, it can be weekly mileage. It could be your longest long run. It could be monthly mileage. Uh, it could be more habit oriented. So let's say you're someone who doesn't uh, strength train. Okay, well, we're going to start a consistent strength training habit. Maybe you're someone who doesn't do a dynamic warm up before you go running. Okay, we're going to implement a series of dynamic exercises before all of your runs. And so you're essentially just looking at your training and asking yourself, what's the next step? What is the next thing I can do that will improve my training and therefore make me into a more robust, better runner? You know, whether it's dynamic warm ups or more volume, or um, maybe you're someone who's never run strides. And so, okay, I'm going to start running strides. I keep hearing Jason talk about strides and every other coach out there seemingly is recommending strides. So I'm going to run strides twice a week. You know, things like this, you know, they don't, don't necessarily have to be PRs, but really any way in which you can take your training to the next level. So imagine that you're sitting down with a coach and they've just got a checklist. You know, are you covering your bases and performing all of these best practices? If not, what's one or two of these things that you can add or get more consistent with in base training so that once your season comes around, not only have you built a better foundation and you're just in a better position to succeed, but those better habits will then follow you through into that season. And hopefully the idea is that they, they lead you to run better times. So the, the objective that you set, the training PR or the, the training, let's call it milestone, really is determined by what you're looking to get out of this period of time. So if it is base building, then monthly mileage or weekly mileage would be a good one. But if it is, you know, I'm very inconsistent with strength training and it puts me at risk for injury and I've never really dug in and got in the habit of going to the gym or getting the equipment at home and that's my goal. It's like, okay, three strength sessions per week throughout an entire month, all done, 30 minutes each. Like, it's like you set the objective around whatever you identify as your limiter or your weak point and and that's how you decide what your training uh, milestone or training PR is going to be. Yeah, I think that that's a good place to be. Uh, and, and, I, and I think too, you made a really good distinction there, which is like, you know, if you're going to be going after volume and aerobic development, overall mileage in your long run are two of the best ways to do that. But if you're someone who's very injury prone and maybe you don't do any strength training, I think focusing more on building injury resilience and developing that consistent strength training habit. Those are the things that kind of have to come first, right? Like you can't run high mileage if you're always hurt and you're going to be more well-prepared for that high mileage if you're stronger. So a lot highly, it makes a lot more sense to get strong first before you start increasing that mileage. mileage. Mm. So yeah, it does depend on kind of what you individually need. Um, and, and I think for anybody who's injury prone or is not strength training regularly, that's some really low hanging fruit yeah. for you to go after that is going to make you more consistent in the long run. So, you know, you're going to be able to get in more training because you're just not missing as much time with injuries and that's going to lead you to be a much better runner. 
That's fantastic. And I think that's a nice place to finish because it'll be a little bit of a teaser because, um, you know, I kind of skirted around the strength training because I know you know a ton about that and that it, it would be quite relevant for this time of year when there's less races and certainly less air races. But I didn't want to get into it too much because I wanted to focus on this kind of off-season base training distinction kind of thing. But I do feel a little bit... Um, like I've offended you by bringing you on the show twice and not asking you about strength training. So I'm going to tease that for the future when I can uh, twist your arm into coming on again. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for your time. This was a uh, very practical advice that uh, people I think can apply to their own situation and very timely at this time of year and will help people understand what they should be doing in those periods of time that are further away from their air races, which is a very, very, very common problem. You know, I had that problem before I sort of got more into it. And um, a lot of my athletes have that problem. A lot of people who I see who come to the clinic with injuries and stuff have that problem of, of just allowing detraining. And I think this gives people really helpful, practical advice on how to approach this time of year and how to arrange their season and their training accordingly. So thank you for all of that. And um if someone wants to learn a bit more from you and about you, where would you recommend they go to check you out? Strengthrunning.com is is definitely the home base where you're going to find, you know, the strength running blog, the uh, email courses that we have going into detail on all kinds of different topics, strength training included, uh, in all of our different training programs and coaching services. You can also check out the YouTube channel, the strength running YouTube channel and the strength running podcast. Lastly, let me just say, I also just am very aware that I am like the purest running coach who is describing the ideal way of doing things, but obviously you don't have to do it the ideal perfect way that is going to maximize your potential in the future. If you have a busy time in your life and you just ran this marathon or whatever, and it took a lot out of you and you want to take five weeks off of running completely because this isn't an enormous part of your lifestyle or your identity. I am not going to stand in your way. So I just want to be clear that I'm not like the cranky coach telling everyone to not take any time off. I'm, I'm more just wanting to be very strategic, particularly for the runners who do want to achieve their potential. Well, I mean, that's exactly the way to look at it though, because if you if you if it's not a priority for you and you do decide that you want to take five weeks off after this, like say Jen, right? So I want to take five weeks off. It's like okay, well your goals next year have to reflect that you made that decision. It's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It's just that was your decision. And if your goal for is to run another marathon in May or June and you want to hit the PR, then that might not be the best decision, and you just have to take that into account. Right. Just be very aware of what you're doing and the effect of your choice, I think is, is really the position that I'm taking. And, you know, for, for those people who do want to push, 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 here, here's what we can do. Yeah, cool. That's fantastic, Jason. Thank you again for coming on the show. I'll put links to all that stuff in the, in the show notes so people go and check you out, especially your podcast. It's fabulous. And the website strengthrunning.com. If uh, if people want to follow you on Instagram, it's at JasonFitz1. And you put out really good stuff there too uh, that uh, sparked the, the impetus for this conversation, which has been really fun. So thanks again, Jason. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.